in the beginning of the, sir, the message, so I think we have some of that ironed out. I'm hoping we do, so folks on the internet, uh, that's why you missed like the first 10, 15, 20 minutes, the good stuff, and uh, you got the backside. So uh, anyway, Ephesians chapter 3 this morning, if you will, I'm going to go back. Last week we did not finish the, uh, what I wanted to get to, and I don't want to miss what we didn't get covered. I just talked real quickly about it at the end. I want to go back in and I want to look at this uh, a little closer. Uh, Ephesians chapter 3, uh, Paul let the fly in. I saw him do it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. What's that? I was. Hey, how you doing? <laughs> Good to see you back there. Yeah. Ephesians chapter 3, verse number 10, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in, the heaven, in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. We've been looking at that end of that verse uh, really for the last several weeks. As we go and, and as we begin to instruct the, uh, the angels, the angelic host, if you will, here in verse 10, our really kind of like our mission and our goal and, and, and what God's vision for us as the church to be doing is making that impact into the heavenly places. And there's a thing here about making known the manifold wisdom of God. That's what we've been really talking about. If you come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and I, I, I want to make sure that we're, we understand that that's really what we've been, I've been trying to talk to you about, is us making known that manifold wisdom of God. And the fact is, is that the, that the adversary... Our adversary doesn't like that aspect of what we're doing. But yet the angels are very inquisitive into it, and they want to look into what God's doing. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 7 and verse 8, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world... Now, there's the, there's the angelic host... Satan is called the prince, the power of the air. There they are. Had they known the hidden wisdom of God, what would they not have done? Crucified the Lord of glory. They would not have done that. So there's something about what we're making known, that manifold wisdom of God. We are, we, we're, we're participating and doing in the reconciliation plan that God has for the heavenly places, that's the hidden wisdom, just as Israel was in participating in the reconciliation program for the earth. They're watching that. Come back with me to Isaiah 14. They're paying attention to that. And because they are watching this, we, we went last time back into Genesis. You remember that? Chapters 1 through 11, and we talked about those four institutions that God establishes in creation, the issue of volition. The, the fact is, folks, that, one, that every man, every mankind, every human, however you need to have it explained to you to be gender neutral, I guess. That's the PC thing today, all right? But how every person is going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, whether it's at the judgment seat, for the body of Christ as believers, or it's the great white throne judgment where he's the judge. 
everybody. And when they do that, they're going to have, <laughs> it's going to be excuse time. They're going to have to give an account of what their activity was. You read over there in Revelation when he talks about the great white throne judgment. He opens the books of their works, of their deeds, of their activities. And he looks like, <laughs> you got him? <laughs> All right, Paul. There you go. I told We'll send them to Paul every time now, okay? When he opens those books of deeds, he, that's what he's judging and looking at. So everybody gives accountability. Why? Because God established the issue of volition, the issue of free will, of you make a decision and then you're responsible for that decision. And unfortunately, in our day and age, no, we're going to blame somebody else, and it's somebody else's problem. But that's not how God established mankind, the orderly function of society, of culture, to happen. Then he said, okay, now it's not good for man to be alone, so let's institute the institution of marriage. So you've got a man and a woman that come together on their own free will, make a decision to come together and to make a new unit, a new family unit, a new identity. Then when that happens, the natural fallout of that is children. So children now make the family. So the family becomes the stabilizing, the building block of society, of, the, of culture, is that family. Well, then you need something to protect those four from the vain imaginations of man. So God instituted the issue of nationalism. He instituted the issue of, of human government, and he set those governmental structures up, the powers that be, Romans 13. We looked at it last time. Well, when he did that, Satan has a counterpunch to every one of them, by the way. To volition, he says, no, it's not really you make up your own mind. God just doesn't want you to know anything. So now you, it's not really, you're not going to be accountable. He looks over at the marriage. You don't need to be married. You're good on your own. You don't need to do that. You don't need to have a family. You don't need to. But then the nationalism, he says, international globalism is what we call it today. And that's that stuff in the chapter 10 and 11 with the Tower of Babel and Nimrod and everything. In Isaiah 14, what Satan does here now is God has a wisdom program, a wisdom plan. Satan says, I have one too. Let's see who follows which plan. Let's see who people, humanity, whose plan they follow the most. Isaiah 14, verse 12, here's the plan. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which did weakenest the nations? And that's really what we've been talking about last week and this week. We're going to wrap it up about how he weakens the nations. For thou hast said in thine heart. By the way, notice it's all past tense. He said this back in Genesis 1. These guys, the little flock here, as Satan is being cast into the lake of fire the final time, they're ridiculing him, poking at him. They're, they're making fun of, you know, na 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 boo boo, look at you. <laughs> That's what they're doing. As he's cast, you said this. This was your proclamation. This was your five-point plan. And look at what it got you. Absolutely nothing. 
He said, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mountain of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. And he goes out and he begins to traffic that plan. And he begins to sell it, merchandise it. We're going to look over in Ezekiel uh, 28 here in just a second. And when he does that, it begins to fester in. He takes a third of that angelic host, the upper elements of the angels, the angelic creation out there. He gets them all but Gabriel and Michael from what it appears in Scripture. And when he does that, he gets them. He sold it. They bought into his plan. Come back to Genesis chapter 10 just to see this. But he, he's doing something. He's counteracting what God is doing. He's putting up, Satan is called the great counterfeiter. The, the, he's the imitator. He counterfeits. It looks so much like something God would be doing, but there's just something off, you know? <laughs> yeah, fu- Funny money, the, the counterfeit money. Well, it used to be when you had tellers to deal with at the bank. You know how they taught tellers to identify fake money? Deal with the real stuff. Because when you deal with the real stuff, then as soon as you touch something that ain't real, I do it all. I got Monopoly money in my, bo- in my pocket. <laughs> you know, the, and it's different, isn't it? Satan's the same way. Man, it looks right, smells right. You hold it up in the light, it's right. But it just got a little feel off. Just enough. Today they just run it through a machine that tells them, <laughs> you know, used to you had to work with your hands. You had to know what you were doing. Genesis chapter 10. The Lord has established, God has established nations. He does it with borders, languages, cultures, nations, families, the whole list here. He, the borders, the physical boundaries, languages, that, that causes groups of people to gather together within those physical boundaries. The nations, the the natural outcome of people gathering together from a language and inside of a board is then to create a nation, to create government, to create how culture and society and how things are going to function. Satan counters that. Genesis 10 verse 8, and Cush begat Nimrod, and he began to be a mighty one in the earth, and he was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Wherefore it is said that even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord, and the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Satan attacks, but he uses Nimrod. By the way, him being a mighty hunter before the Lord, that's not a good thing. That's actually the same thing in Cain in Genesis 4 when he built the city. It's it's a statement of rebellion against what God had said. They were to scatter and fill up the earth. In chapter 11, verse 1, the whole earth was of one language and of one speech, and it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, let's go build a city, let's build a tower, the end of verse 14. I'm sorry, the end of verse 4, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. That's what God said to be done. Make these nations up. 
Let's get out there, get together, get the, get the, the people groups together. And Nimrod and Satan say, nope, we ain't doing that. We're going to do our own thing. So what does the Lord do? Well, he reaches down and confounds the languages, doesn't he? And in Romans 1, you know, we're not going to go over there. What does he say? He let them go. He turned them over to their own devices. He gave them up because they didn't want to retain God in their knowledge. They wanted to, be, they wanted to do their own thing. So then God reaches down. Genesis 12, look over, you're in Genesis 11, just look at Genesis 12. Genesis 12, verse number 1, what does he do? He, now the Lord had said unto Abram, had said, past tense, this has already been said, talked about Genesis 10 and 11 time frame. God's not doing something going, oh no, I got to answer the attack. Oh no, oh, oh. no, he had a plan. He's already discussed it with Abram. By the way, Abram is a Gentile. He's not a Jew. The Jews don't show up until Israel is out of Exodus, and they're a nation. He's a Gentile. His faith was counted to him in righteousness and uncircumcision, not circumcision. Had said what? Get thee out of thy country, from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, into a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great, what? Nation. So what does he do? He reaches down. He lets all the Gentiles go to their own seed, their own imagination. And he reaches over and he says, well, this is going to be my nation. And I'm going to establish my nation. And I'm going to do it with you, Abraham. And I'm going to do it with your seed. And you're going to be a blessing to, the, to, to the, all the families of the earth. There at the end of verse 3. All four institutions are illustrated and, and, and shine in Abraham. Abraham's volition. What did he do? He believed God. And it was counted to him for righteousness. He said, okay, you're, I believe you. You're it. Let's go. Then he was married, wasn't he? Sarai. Or Sarah. Her name gets changed. He, had a, he was promised to have a family, didn't he? A seed line. He tried on his own. Nice try, puppy. Didn't work. God said, I'm going to take care of it. It's going to be my... So then we have Ishmael and Isaac. They have descendants. They all go back to Father Abraham, do they not? But God says, I'm going to do this. Come over on your way to Exodus 32 to Deuteronomy chapter 4. I'm doing something here. I'm going to answer the attack by the adversary. And when I answer the attack of the adversary, I'm going to do it with my nation in the earth. Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses is talking to that new generation that's going to go in and inhabit the land, so he's re-giving them the law. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, Deuteros, the, the re-giving of the law. Give it over again, the second giving. Drop down to verse 7, just real quick here. Verse 7. For, for what nation is, well, verse 6. Keep, therefore, and do them. That's the judgments and the commandments back up in verse 2, 3, 4, and 5. 
For this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the nations, which shall hear all these statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. You obey my commandments, Israel, and this is you will be the fame of the land. You will be the top nation. That's why he says, I made you the head, not the tail. I put you above everybody. He says there in, in numbers, he says, you're not to be numbered among the nations. You're my people. As long as you're doing what? Obeying the word. Verse 7. Look at what the Gentiles are going to say. For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them? Over there in Acts, Paul says he put up borders around the nations and they're all one blood and all this stuff so that they could, they could go out and feel for him and find the Lord. Where were they going to find him? In that nation of Israel over there. He said, you're my nation. You're my people. You're the group of people that are going to, that I'm going to do this with you. Now, come back to Exodus 32. And this is where we got to last week. And it's almost time to quit. I'm just kidding. I got 25 minutes with you. I want to, because I want you to see what Satan is doing here. Because we have to use Israel to illustrate this. And then we can make some spiritual applications to us. And it's critical that you see how Satan is going to come up now and beat the living tar out of Israel and win. Because he's going to do the same thing to the body of Christ, and he is winning. And I don't want that to happen to you and I. When you look at the church, the body of Christ says at large, it's a sad thing to see the state of the church. You and I, we are a, a remnant. We are a little flock, if you will, because we hold to the truth dispensationally. And to the word rightly divided. This message cannot be preached on a grand scale because you have to compromise. And it's hard to do that when you're going to do what? Teach the truth. And I want you to see that this morning, okay? All that other's been introduction to here. Exodus 32, verse 1. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount. The people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what is become of him. Israel has come out of Egypt. They're, they're, they're wandering through the wilderness, if you will. And the first sign of trouble, what do they ask Aaron to do? Make us some gods. They go into their imaginations and they begin to create gods that they had learned about in Egypt to come along and to then lead them. They have gone back to Egypt. They begin to think about things improperly. Come over to Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26. They have become... 
They're not doing what God set them up to do, are they? Go make us gods. What they should have said was, we're waiting on him. We'll just chill out here a minute. We'll wait for him. God had separated Abraham out. He had separated Israel out. Isaiah 26, notice verse number 1. In that day shall this song be sung in the land of Judah. We have a strong city. Now watch carefully. Salvation will God appoint for what? Walls and bulwarks. He's talking about the kingdom. If you hold on to here, run over to Acts 17. That, that passage in Acts is just kind of in my head here, which is not a normal place for it to be. But Acts 17. Acts 17, look at verse 26. Paul is dealing, he's on the Mar Mars Hill there in Athens. He's dealing with the, with the religious people. Verse 22, all, in all things you are too superstitious. Verse 26, and ha he wants to talk to them. Verse 23, about the inscription to the unknown God. Okay? Verse 26, and hath made of one blood all nations for men for to dwell on all the face of the earth and have determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Bounds of their habitation. Got them, they got walls around them, don't they? There's borders. By the way, verse 27, that they should seek the Lord if happily, happily. That it's not happy, but happily. Seek they might find, they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far off, far from every one of us. They got bulwarks, they got bounds around them. Come back to Isaiah 26, verse 1. He's talking about the kingdom. He's talking about Israel. What has he set up around Israel? Bulwarks, walls, protection. By the way, in, in verse 1, he calls it salvation. Now come over to Isaiah 60. You got that in your head, right? I hope, in your mind, in your thinking. There's a bulwark. There's protection. There's salvation. That word salvation carries a few connotations to it, but it ultimately means to be delivered from harm. From anything that's going to hurt and harm you, destroy you, you're delivered from it. So that word salvation takes on many different forms. Look at Isaiah, Isaiah 60. He put a bulwark around, he put a wall around him, he put a hedge of protection around Israel. 60 verse 18. Violence shall no more be heard in thy land. Again, we're talking about some things here. Wasting nor destruction within thy borders, but thou shalt call thy walls salvation and thy gates praise. Walls are going to be called what? Salvation. What are, they do what are the walls doing in that verse? Keeping out the violence. The gates are going to call praise. The wall and the gates, they're there to protect the people inside. You with, you, I'm trying to draw a picture here for you. I hope you are. This stuff is good when you get the grasp on it. And sometimes I feel like I'm not getting that across to you. Come over to chapter 7, Isaiah 7. you got this thing going on with Israel 
where you got a wall around it, you got some protection. It's all designed to keep out the, the wickedness. It's all designed to keep out the violence. Isaiah 7, verse number 5. Isaiah 7, 5. Because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Remelah have taken evil counsel against thee. Let us go up against Judah. Here's their evil counsel against thee saying. Let us go up against Judah and vex it. And let us make a breach therein for us. And set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabalah. Notice what they're going to do. They are going to assault the wall. There, there's an assault that's going to happen here. They're going to go up against that wall called salvation. There's an assault of the lie program against you and I. Think about us today. We have, a, we, we have a bulwark around us. We have a wall around us, folks. It's called sound doctrine. Okay? It's what it's called. It's not angels. It's not Jesus take the wheel and then it's the wrong wheel. I think about that every now and then. You know? You take the, it's the wrong wheel, the wheel bouncing down the road. <laughs> Don't take that one. <laughs> you know? Folks, we have a bulwark around us. It's called sound doctrine. That assault of the lie program against us. It's never going to end. It's ongoing. It's always looking for an opening in the wall. The water leak, we just fixed it. We had been noticing that the water bill was kind of ticking up, going, hmm, what's going on? So the guys kind of dug around the side over there. The ground was wet. First, we just thought it was from the cleaning and everything, and then we thought maybe it was somebody using it. But we kind of cut all that out, and we look at, and Brian dug down, and he exposed the, the, the pipe, and it was, he said, I hit it a little bit just to tap, and water come out. <laughs> so we turned the water off and blah, 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 and all that stuff. But what happens? What does water do? It, it erodes, but it, but it goes where it wants to go, doesn't it? But it's looking for the path of least resistance, doesn't it? What is Satan doing? He's looking for the breach. He's looking for how to get it. He's looking for an opening. And I'll tell you what, in verse number 5, because Syria, Ephraim, and the son of Ramelah have taken, there's the threefold attack against Israel in those nations right there. And they're going to come up and they're going to bombard. And that threefold attack, look at verse 6, let us go up against Jerusalem and let us vex it and let us make a breach therein and let us set a king in the midst. Why in the world are they trying to get into the nation of Israel? Who was the nation of Israel? They're God's people. They're God's nation. Satan says, look, We've, we basically have destroyed the institutions over here in humanity, but we got one over there that we can't seem to get a breach in and a hold in, so let's go to it. And they, there's an onslaught against Israel. They vex it. They beat on it constantly till they find a weak spot so that they can go in and set a what? A king on the throne. 
Again, Israel, literal, physical, they're doing this to them. But it represents a thinking process that Satan uses against you and I. He comes along and he begins to beat on our walls. And literally what, is, what Isaiah is here is like, guys, we've got to have some stamina. We've got to have some courage. We've got to have some courage to stand on the wall. First of all, though, you've got to have the moral courage to build the wall. Then you've got to have the courage to not open it. Paul says, hey, you ought to bring every thought into the captivity of the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to have that courage to do that. So you begin to, the onslaught begins. What's he looking for? The breach. He's looking for the trouble spots. Come over to Deuteronomy chapter 20. The enemy's looking for a hole, folks. And in our age, in the church, the body of Christ, they're looking for a hole in the doctrine. They're looking for a way to be scriptural, but yet not dispensational. They're looking for a way to wiggle, and there's a way that he's wiggling here. <laughs> okay? Look at Deuteronomy 20. Look at verse number 1. Uh, this is, uh, by the way, Deuteronomy 20, this has been titled, The Law of the Warfare. Here's how war is going to work. Verse 1, When thou goest out to battle against thine enemies, and seest horses and chariots, and a, and a people more than thou, be not afraid of them. For the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Don't be afraid. Fear will neutralize you. You look out there and you see armies. Armies are the arm of the what? The government. You see them over there. They're bigger than you. Don't fear them. Be not afraid. For who's on your side, Israel? God that brought you out of Egypt is. For you and I, for us, you know what? There's going to come a time when we're going to have the government at our door to where we can't do and preach and say what we do and preach and say. We're going to have to remember this. Folks, if they kill you, where are you going? To glory. Whoop-de-doo for my Subaru. <laughs> I don't need it anymore. I'm going to glory. I mean, come on. When you have that kind of a psychopathic thinking about it, I guess, or us, you know, but that's how you have to think about it. So then what do you do? You stand in the breach. You don't allow them to breach you. You stand there. You stand in the wall, and you say, you know what? We're going to preach and teach the sound doctrine till hell or high water or whatever saying you like to say, but we're going to do it, and we're not going to succumb to anything. Don't be afraid. Have your sound doctrine about who you are protect you you're in the warfare aren't we in a war spiritual warfare yeah every day we don't i love that verse in ephesians 6 one day we'll go over there and look at it where he says we we don't war against flesh and blood everybody goes oh that's other people yeah but it's the every other people starts with you 
You war with your flesh and blood because you fail to recognize and believe and understand the identity doctrines of Romans 6. And you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to rest in who you are in Christ. That old man's been crucified. You've been set free from sin. Sin does not have dominion over you. So why do you keep battling that guy? He's dead. Now we can go deal with other people. You can't deal with other people till you deal with you. It's, it's very interesting. Anyway, verse 2. And it shall be when ye are come nigh unto the battle, that the priest shall approach and speak unto the people, and shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, ye approach this day unto battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint, fear not, do not tremble, neither be ye terrified because of them. For the Lord your God, he is, is he that goeth with you to fight for, your, for you against your enemies to save you. Hey, look, folks. You got out there in the sound doctrine working in your life and who you are in Christ, and it doesn't matter what the enemy brings at you. Who do you have on your side? Christ. And the doctrines of who you are, fighting that. Come over to Proverbs 15. You see, because the fight, the design of the attack is to weaken the nation. The design of the attack of you and I is to weaken our walls of salvation. The sound doctrine. Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15. Look, if you will, at verse 4. Proverbs 15, verse 4. Because the course of the nation, the course of the nation of Israel is going to be determined by the amount of the sound doctrine that's resident in the hearts and the minds of the people. That goes for Israel. It goes for you and I today. The course of this nation, the United States of America, has fallen off and has gone in a different direction because of the, because of the lack of sound doctrine in the people of, the, of this nation. Do you realize, some of you older folks know this, I'd listen to my dad when he would talk about in school standing, saying the Pledge of the Allegiance, and, and praying the Our Father prayer. That was in a public school. They could do that. You got a bunch of heathens repeating, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Do you think they understood a little bit about the Bible? Yes, they did, because it was repeated to them constantly, even though they were heathens, unsaved. You can't do that today. So when you think about the, the ramification of any kind of biblical information in the hearts of the people of this country today, what is it? Zero. So, so therefore, the course of this country has gone where? Uh, right turn, Clyde. You'll get that if you watch Clint Eastwood movies, okay? Come on. Right? i got to keep you guys awake. Yeah, the orangutan. Yep, you got it. Right? right. <laughs> verse 4. Watch verse 4. How does Satan weaken the nations? How does he weaken you and I as the church, the body of Christ? Proverbs 15, 4. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. First, Satan goes after the hearts 
of the people of the nation of Israel, the believing remnant, the wholesome tongue. The Lord Jesus Christ is said in in the Gospels to have a pure tongue. But perversion is a what? Is a breach. What did we learn? What are they, what, what's the activity? Come up and hit it, vex it, get a breach in the wall, get through there, get a hole in the wall. And once we get a hole in the wall, now we can go set up our own king on the hearts of men. Now we can reach in there, now we can, now we can come along and Satan can reach up in there and grab it and own it. Now, I want you to notice something very careful in verse 4. He says, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life, but perversiveness therein. A wholesome tongue, what does a wholesome tongue speak? The truth, words. Wholesome words. Sound words. Sound familiar? Paul tells us to follow what? Sound, life-giving words. So then what would be the perversiveness in the verse? Perversive what? Words. Unsound words. So what does Satan do? What has Satan done to the church, the body of Christ? When it comes to the attack on the word, you have no pure Bible any longer. You have, therefore, you have no sound doctrine. Folks, our faith rests on what? Sound doctrine. Rest on the word of, of God. But Satan comes along and says, you know what? We're going to look next time when he goes and talks to Eve in the garden. He says 46 words to her, gets her, and he messed with the book, didn't he? Perversiveness has moved in, but it starts with you. It starts with you and I deciding to stand on God's word rightly divided. He's looking for a breach. He's looking to put his king, his wisdom plan on the throne of your heart and of your thinking. He's looking to put his king, human viewpoint, on the throne of your thinking. You have to decide to stand with God's word rightly divided. You have to decide to go face life based on who you are in Christ and based on sound doctrine. You have to take that sound doctrine and and put a bulwark around you, if you will. You have to decide that. I have to decide it for me. I've decided to do that, by the way. I have decided. Then that rolls out into into you guys, doesn't it? Come over to Psalms 60. You see, folks, Satan, he's not out there bringing guns and knives and, and, you know, the the brute mentality. He can, but that's not his goal. What's his goal? Vex the wall. Hit the wall. Keep hitting it. Keep hitting it until he can find a breach. And he's hitting it with ideas and thoughts and words. Imaginations. Philosophies and vain deceits. Colossians 2. 
verse 8. You know that verse. Look, look over there. You got Psalm 60? Stick your finger in there or tab over, however you do it. Colossians 2, verse 8. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the traditions of men, after the rudiments of the world. All that is words, folks. It's ideas, it's thought, and not after Christ. Man. Psalm 60. You see, folks, he's looking for a breach. He's going to use the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and the lust of the flesh. He's going to use those three-prong attacks. Look at Psalm 60, verse 1. O God, thou hast cast us off. Thou hast scattered us. Thou hast been displeased. O turn thyself to us again. Thou hast made the earth to tremble. Thou hast broken it. Heal the breaches thereof, for it shaketh. Israel cries, heal the breaches. God can heal them. He will. He does. He reaches down and he fixes Israel. But how does he do that for you and I? He tells you and I we find our comfort in the scriptures. He tells you and I that we're to stand fast in the liberty that we have in Christ because we understand who we are in Christ. He tells us that that, that doctrine and that experience of what's going on worketh for us a far more weight of eternal glory. We're going to stand on the truth. That's where he heals you and I, if you will. Come over to Psalms 106. I told you, you've got to kind of use Israel to see this, but you can make the spiritual move over to you and I. The breach is going to happen. The breach has happened in the church, the body of Christ as a whole. You go talk to somebody, first thing you ought to ask them is, what Bible are you using? And they'll go, well, something on my phone that I found that was a free app. Huh? Well, I have to have something I can understand. It's easy to read. It isn't easy to read, by the way. <laughs> Psalms 106, look at verse 23. 106, 23. Therefore he said that he would destroy them had not Moses his chosen stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath lest he should destroy them. See, folks, he can heal the breach in the wall. Moses, and, and with Israel's sake, there he took Moses, and Moses stood in the what? In the breach. What did Moses stand in the breach with? The truth. The law. The word of God. You see, folks, he can heal the breach in your wall. He can heal that breach that's there in your life and in your family, but he's going to, and God's word will make that difference in your life, but it starts with you. Over there in Ezekiel 22, I don't think I have it up there. No, no, that's 28. That's something different, but we're not going to get there. We'll pick it up next time. The, those bottom two. Folks, he says over there, who's going to stand in the gap? The seats are em the seats empty. Who's going to stand in the gap? You see, folks, 
You have to make the choice to allow the word of God rightly divided to work in your life. Moses stood in the gap. This ministry, the local assembly, Paul says, is the ground and the pillar of the truth. We stand in the breach. We're not going to change the nation, just FYI. The Lord's going to do that when he comes back. But I'll tell you what, this community can be changed, and it starts with us. It starts with you and I, believing individuals, making a decision about marriage, about family, about this community, the local community, where we're going to begin to stand and hold up the truth be a pillar and the ground of the truth. How does Satan weaken the nation? He pounds on it till he finds a breach. And when he gets the breach, he goes in and sets up the lie program. You want to know what the lie program is? Run over real quick to Romans 1, verse 25. Romans 1, 25, a wonderful verse in Romans that just kind of simplifies all that's going on. And he says, Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That's what Satan's doing. That's what his original plan was. Let's weaken them. Let's weaken the nations out. And we're going to do it by pounding on them. Let's weaken the body of Christ by pounding on it with, you don't have a Bible. What are you doing? Yeah, you can get saved by grace, but you've got to live under the law. Yeah, you can do that if you want, but Paul's really the 12th apostle. He's really just a continuing. There's really only one gospel in the book, don't you know? And they become scriptural, but not dispensational. One more passage, Revelation 17. We'll get that one down there. And we'll pick up here next time, after the Bible conference. Because the wisdom plan of Satan has a name, has a title. Revelation 17, verse number 5. And upon her forehead was written, was a name written, Mystery. There's her name. There's his name. Mystery, Babylon the Great. That's the title. And we'll see how she, he has become the, the mother of all mysteries. As he carries that title, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abomination of the earth. Oh. You see, folks, Satan knows what God's doing. He understands what God's doing. He understands that God's working in the church, the body of Christ, promoting a hidden wisdom program. He knows that. He's not a dummy. He knows the angels are watching. I can pound on them now and weaken them up. Just as I did with Israel. Just as I made the breach with Israel. I can get it here with the church, the body of Christ. And he's got it. And the church as a whole is so disarrayed. 
because the breach has been. So you know what we have to do? We have to stand in the breach. Tremendous what he's doing. You need to understand that. When our society and culture around us begin to change, there's a spiritual reason for it. Romans 13, it's called the evil. And that's what's happening. We need to stand in the, with the truth, with the word of God, the armor of God on us, and go to battle. But, who, but you have to make that choice. I can't make it for you. That's where we're at. You follow all that? All that make any sense? <laughs> all right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And above all, Lord, we thank you for the study. We thank you for everything that we have in your son. We thank you that we have your word in the King James Bible that gives us that information, that we can study it, we can learn it, we can know it to be true and sound. So that ultimately that everything that we say or do in word or deed would bring honor and glory to you. We'll give you the praise. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, let's stand.